if you're here with us this morning and you are a Christ follower and you believe in Jesus, this should not come as a surprise to you that this is something we should be doing. Jesus did, after all, tell us that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. That was one of his key teachings there in the book of Mark and in Matthew. I mean, this is a, a, a teaching that's recorded by the gospel writers. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, I think most of you would probably also say, yeah, loving my neighbor is probably a good idea. At least it's better than hating my neighbor or actively working to harm my neighbor. I mean, yeah, we should probably get along. Uh, th that's kind of what neighboring's about. And that's what this series is about, the art of neighboring, is we're going to try to learn how to be better neighbors. Um, and I do want to acknowledge that the screen behind me is doing weird things, and we know that. Uh, we're trying so desperately to get it fixed. And so at the end of the service, there will be maybe a congregational participation where you will be permitted to make a phone call during service so that way we can see if we can get it to do the evil thing that it's been doing. Uh, but right now, we're going to do another congregational participation piece. First service, it, it was hard for them. And maybe it was early. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're not as smart as you. I don't know. I, we've not taken a poll. We don't know. But here, in a second, I'm going to have you stand up. Let's just start there. I didn't say that first service, so maybe this is on me. In a second, I'm going to have you stand up, okay? I want you to stand up in a second if you know the name of one of your neighbors, one of your, like, next-door neighbors, okay? I'm going to want you to stand up if you know the name of one of your next-door neighbors. Ready, set, go. Perfect. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Oh, this is wonderful. Okay, now stay standing if you know the name of both of your next-door neighbors. If you know the name of both of your next-door neighbors, stay standing. Otherwise, you need to sit down. It's okay. That's what, this is a safe place. This is such a safe place. I, I know. Um, so, okay, stay standing if and only if you also know the name of your neighbor across the street, okay? So you know three neighbors. We're up to three neighbors. Now stay standing if you know the name of three neighbors. Otherwise, sit down. Sit down, okay. All right, now, here we go. Let's see, do you know the neighbor of the person behind you? All right, yeah. If you don't, sit down. If you do know the name of the neighbor behind you, stay standing. All right, this is where I would sit down. I just, in, in full disclosure... All right, now this is, this, is, this is the advanced class. Stay standing if you know the name of at least two of your catty corner neighbors, okay? Two of your catty corner neighbors, all right, okay. If you don't have that many people, that's okay. All right, and then how about the back two catty corner neighbors? Stay standing if you know their names. So we're technically up to like the names of eight neighbors. All right, hey, give these people still standing a round of applause for living in the country. All right, you can sit down. Now, some of you live in the country, I know, and you don't have that many neighbors. So, and you live out there because you're like me, you don't want neighbors. I know, we got to be honest with ourselves. We just, we just do. And that's a big part of the problem is we are called to love our neighbors, but it's really hard to love our neighbors, and it's hard to pray for our neighbors, and it's hard to be a good neighbor if you don't even know your neighbor. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's hard for us to be obedient to the teachings of Christ, to love our neighbor as ourself, if we don't even know our neighbors. 
And so as we begin this series, here's what we're going to do this morning. In just about 30 minutes, I'm going to talk about three kinds of neighbors we do not want to be, a fourth that we do, and it is my hope that we start to learn how to be better neighbors. I think we need to start with a few definitions. The first is this, is who is a neighbor? That is the sense of a noun, like who is my neighbor? And the answer to that is it's anybody that's close to you. So it's the people that live next door to you, behind you, in front of you. It's that cashier that you always get at Kroger, like no matter what time of day you go to, you always happen to end up like in that person's line. That's your neighbor. It's the person that serves you coffee, uh, you know, either, you know, a, a waitress or the barista, depending on how you, you know, you coffinate, um, that person is also your neighbor. It's the person that, you know, they always have kids like on your kid's team. And all you know is that their name is like Mr. Billy's dad. And that's it. Um, those people are your neighbors too. We're talking about a neighbor being anybody that's close. Now, you've also maybe picked up that we're using the word neighbor as a verb, and the verb really, what does it mean to be a neighbor, to be neighboring? Um, I'm going to say that we're going to try to define that in the terms of how Jesus used it, to love your neighbor as yourself, to treat those people close to you with love and kindness and compassion and look out for their well-being. And so if you take nothing else this morning, here's, here's the idea is that a neighbor is anybody close, and so we want you to treat everybody close like a neighbor. That's the idea. And it's hard for us to do that unless we get to know them. It's to this situation that I think Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan has a lot of good information for us to, to know. And as I looked at this story, which if you're like me and you've been in church for a little bit, you're probably overly familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. And as I read this story, I was fascinated, not just by the parable, although that's always interesting to me, but I was actually fascinated by sort of the scenario in which the parable gets told, the setup of the parable, if you will. Because it's, it's, it's that that I think so captures who we are. Um, if, if you've got a Bible or you've got the Version app, you can be there in Luke chapter 10. And it's there in Luke chapter 10 that we see the setup to this parable. It says, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this lawyer is both lawyer and probably rabbi. He's theologian and court attorney. He is uh, well-educated. He is devout, most likely. He's respected. He's probably well-connected. And he comes to Jesus with what I think is actually a very self-centered question. What he's really asking is this, is how do I get what I want? Jesus, I want eternal life. Jesus, I want to live in heaven with you forever. So what do I have to do to get that? What do I have to do to get what I want? Now, let's just honestly admit something, that being self-centered is never going to get us the things that we want in life. It, I mean, what we want is deep community and deep, meaningful relationships with God and other people. And that's why here at Bowling Green Christian Church, we're trying to become less so that Jesus can become more because we believe that's how we get the most out of life. But this lawyer comes and he just asks this question. He says, what do I have to do to get what I want? And Jesus turns this question around right back on him. You know, it's like Jesus says this. He's like, you know, hey, listen, wait a second. You're the lawyer, right? You're the attorney. You've been to law school. You've been to seminary. You've done all of those things. You tell me what you have to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus just flips the question around on this guy. 
because this guy is the first kind of neighbor we don't want to be. That is the know-it-all neighbor, the know-it-all neighbor. For those of you that are taking notes, the screen's gone. Let that go. It's okay. Hold somebody's hand next to you and just boldly write that out, the know-it-all neighbor. If you're not a note-taker, that's fine. You don't have to take notes because you're going to remember it all later. I got that part. All right, so the know-it-all neighbor. This is a guy who knows it all. And Jesus flips it back on him and he says, well, you tell me, what is it that you have to do to inherit eternal life? And here's the man's reply. It says, well, he said, it's written, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Case closed. No problem solved. Answer given. You knew it all the time. You didn't have to ask me. You already knew what you had to do. What's interesting to me is that this man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what is it that I have to do to become the person that I want to be? In other words, he's trying to prove himself right. But in proving himself right, he's actually proving himself wrong. In proving that he knows the right thing to do, what he's doing is he's proving that he is not doing what he knows he should be doing. He's got the brains, but not the heart. He's got the the knowledge, but he doesn't have the compassion or the love. He's the kind of guy that's your neighbor that peeks over the fence and tells you how you're supposed to mow your grass in a counterclockwise fashion because that's better for the roots in this hemisphere, but he's not going to get out there and help you mow your grass. He's the guy that's going to tell you how to fix your car, but he's not going to get his hands dirty. He's the kind of guy that's going to tell you how to parent your kids, but he's not going to help you with your kids. That's the kind of neighbor we're talking about. The person that's got all the right answers, but doesn't want to do anything to help you. That's the telltale sign of a know-it-all neighbor. And nobody likes that, especially when it comes to matters of faith and life. And, and listen, as, as Christians, I want to talk to folks here that would say, I'm a Christian. I think we've got this great reputation of being know-it-all neighbors, that we know what you're supposed to do with your life, and, and that's what we do. But we don't want to get our own hands dirty and get involved in helping you be the kind of person that you want to be. And I think this parable and this teaching and this whole scenario gets at this. And Jesus says, don't be this guy. Don't be this guy that's got all the answers, but no ability or willingness to help. So Jesus exposes this know-it-all neighbor. And here's what happens. The know-it-all neighbor is not satisfied being shown up. Surprise, surprise. And so the next verse, verse 29, says this, but wanting to justify himself. In other words, he's, now that he's been proved wrong, he wants to be proved right. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Because surely, Jesus, I'm not supposed to love everybody that's close to me. Surely, Jesus, I'm not supposed to love all of the people that I know and all eight of my neighbors and even the catty corner neighbor, whatever that word catty corner really means. And, and, and I, I, I'm not supposed to love all eight of those people plus the barista and the cashier and the guy I work next to. Surely not all of those people, right? Because I don't have time for that. And that gets us to the second kind of neighbor we don't want to be. That's the always-in-a-hurry neighbor, all hyphenated, all capitalized, for those of you that care. Uh, The always-in-a-hurry neighbor. You might be an always-in-a-hurry neighbor if you find yourself saying these things. Here you go. You ready? I'm just too busy. Uh, Number two, maybe later, not now. How about this? You put them all together. 
I'm just too busy, maybe later, but not now. And that's constantly sort of like your refrain. Or I might get around to it sometime. I think you know you're uh, an I'm-too-busy neighbor if you can't even give yourself enough time to say no. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, we'll do that later. Yeah, just not right now, maybe later. Just You can't even stop long enough to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to help you with that. We're always in a hurry. I mean, that's the world we live in, right? You know, we, we keep putting people off because, you know, we're too busy. You know, we, you know it's inconvenient. I mean, we live in a world that is like, all about convenience. I mean, you know, we even have stores that sell convenience, the convenience store, and you can get anything you want there on your way. I mean, you know, we've got restaurants that you can get a good meal at in like less than like five minutes. I mean, you know we live in a society of convenience when you go to McDonald's and you order that fish filet sandwich that they have because you're weird like me and that's what you want to eat, and they always tell you, sir, that's going to take us an extra minute 30 to make because uh, we don't keep those fresh, you know, in the thing. We're actually going to have to cook it, so you're going to have to wait an extra 90 seconds. And why do they tell me that? Because for somebody else, that was clearly a problem previously, right? Like somebody was like, oh my gosh, what are they doing back there? They're like fishing the fish out of the, like the sea back there? What are they doing? They're like filleting this fish? They're like hand breading this thing? What are, they do- what are you doing back there? Huh? You don't have to catch it. You just have to cook it. That's happened before, right? We've all been there. I, I, I will admit to that. Like, what are you going to catch the chicken back there? What's happening? I mean, look at your watch. We're talking two minutes, all right? That's all that's transpired, okay? And we're like furious because it's not that convenient. I mean, as if ordering things from your house in your pajamas, you know, at Amazon and having it delivered to your house wasn't convenient. Now you can have it delivered for free in two days if you're a Prime member. You know, and if that's too long, they'll overnight it to you and just give it a little bit of time and the drone's going to be bringing it to your house, okay? Seriously, you're going to hit buy and it's going to fly it right to your front door and you'll have it like like three or four hours. That's, what, that's the society we live in. And we're going to watch all of our businesses in town completely close because it's just inconvenient to go to that store when I can have it brought to me. That's the world we live in. And it's into this world of like convenience where the world revolves around me and what I want and you know the Coca-Cola freestyle machine where I can get like literally a thousand combinations. We won't get started on that. But, but we live in this world where Jesus says, hey, listen, guess what? It's important for you to be inconvenienced, to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't always be in a hurry. This is what the parable, I think, of the Good Samaritan is about. I'll just recap the story so we're all on the same page. So Jesus tells a story. This is a made-up story. I love it when people like, try to imagine like, what they're thinking. They're not thinking anything. Jesus just made this story up. Uh, but Jesus tells a story like this. He, this man comes down from Jerusalem, goes to Jericho. As he's walking down the road, he gets mugged. All right, So they take his wallet. They take his keys, they take his cell phone, they take all the cash he's got on him, they beat him, they leave him for dead on the side of the road. That's what happens to this guy. Now, he's, he's going to die, but thankfully, Jesus says that there's two people traveling down the road. You've got the priest and you've got the Levite. I mean, today in Southern Baptist culture, that's the pastor and that's the deacon, okay? That's who you got coming down the road, all right? And so you're thinking, these are spiritual people. They are going to stop and help, but they don't stop and help. They just keep walking. 
And then you get a third character that comes. And this third character comes and he stops. But the, the surprising part is this is a guy you didn't expect. He's a Samaritan. The Jewish folks hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jewish folks. You know, the, the only good Samaritan is the dead Samaritan. That's what the Jewish people would say. And the only good Jewish person, according to the Samaritan, would be the dead Jewish person. And this is the kind of relationship that they had. And yet the Samaritan sees this Jewish guy on the side of the road, and he stops, and he helps him, and he bandages his wounds, and he puts him on his own animal, and he takes him into the inn, and he helps him. And at the end of the story, Jesus says, and who was the neighbor? And they said, the one who had compassion. That's what it means to neighbor. It's to realize that a neighbor is anybody that's close, and so we've got to treat anybody close like a neighbor. Now, we might ask the question, I mean, because it's on our mind, why didn't the priests and the Levites stop? Why did they just keep walking on by? We don't know. Except this. We know that they did not care more about him than they cared about themselves. That we know. That's clear. Because if they cared more about him than they did themselves, they would have stopped. That's really all there is to it. In other words, these are people who are just too busy. They couldn't be inconvenienced with his life to interrupt their life. Now, there's a lot of reasons we're too busy. One is we're just apathetic. We just don't care. And I think maybe it would do us some good to be honest with people sometime. Instead of saying, you know, maybe not right now, maybe later, if we just look at them in the eye and say, you know what, no, I'm not going to help you because I don't care about you. Wouldn't that change, like, our interaction with people? Like, wouldn't we, like, if we actually had to say that, would we maybe start to go, well, maybe I'll help. I mean, it couldn't be that hard. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we don't get involved is we're just apathetic. The second reason we don't stop to help is because we are too busy with mixed, matched, and messed up priorities. You know, we got a hundred things that we got to run and go do that we can't stop and be with somebody here. I think it's interesting that this parable is followed up by a narrative account of Jesus going to the house of, of two sisters, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And they go to uh, their house, Jesus goes to their house, and it says that, that Jesus comes to the living room, and, and Mary is just sitting there with Jesus, and they're having this great conversation there in the living room. And then you've got the sister Martha, and Martha, you know, she, she might be Southern, because she just really feels like everything's got to be right, and it's got to, you know, we want everybody to feel comfortable, so she's making iced tea fresh, you know, sweet, and she's weeding the flower bed, because she knows there's some stuff in there, and she's dusting everything in the, the room, and she's running the vacuum over, and then it's time to make dinner, and you got to have a good dinner, so she's making a pot roast, and so, you know, she's doing all of these things, and she's, you know, while she's doing that, she's wiping all the little white spots off the mirror, and in the bathroom, and all this is happening, and, and she does what any, I think, good, you know, maybe Southern woman would do. She starts just, you know, she didn't come right out and say anything. So she starts, she's in the kitchen and she starts banging the pans a little bit louder. You know what I'm saying? She starts to rattle the cupboard and she, you know, maybe drops some dishes periodically. So that way maybe people out in the living room will go, oh my gosh, what's going on in there? Maybe Mary will clue in and be like, oh, I should go help my sister. But that doesn't happen. And so Martha just works herself into a frenzy and she rattles all the pots and pans and she's like dropping an entire stack of dishes on the counter and she's just hoping that she's going to get some help. And so finally, she's headed up to here because nobody's helping her. Mary's just out there sitting in the living room with Jesus. And so she bursts through the door and she's like, Jesus, you tell my sister to get in here and help me. This is Jesus' reply. Luke chapter 10, 41 through 42. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. 
bless your heart. I had that, well, it's in my version. It may not be in yours. Um, bless your heart, Martha. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. Jesus says, listen, Martha, I've like fed 4,000 men plus women and children with a few fish and some loaves. I can handle a dinner party. You know, I normally sleep on the side of the road. I I could handle a a dirty bedroom. Mary has decided that she's going to be here with me. She's going to be present. She's not going to overly busy herself with things that just don't really matter. She's chosen the better part. That's not going to be taken away from her. She's decided she's not going to be busy so that way she can be a neighbor. Because Mary realizes that a neighbor is anybody close. And so we've got to treat anybody close like a neighbor. And when we do that, we find that we start to develop these deep, meaningful relationships with the people that live near us and work near us and serve near us. And we find that our relationship with God improves. Now, so we get that we should be a neighbor. But what if we've got one of those really bad neighbors, like a Samaritan neighbor or like a Gentile pig dog neighbor or like a pagan neighbor? What do we do with that? If you're asking that question, you might be the third kind of neighbor you don't want to be, and that's this. It's the I'm better than my neighbor neighbor. Uh, The I'm better than my neighbor. That's all in quotes, all hyphenated, all capitalized. The I'm better than my neighbor neighbor. That's you. Because as you look at your neighbor, you're like, I'm just not going to get involved in them because, well, I'm kind of better than they are. I'm kind of better than those people. And you choose to not get involved. Listen, friends, we've all been there. I've been there. I remember not at the house I live at now, but at a previous house. The house shall remain nameless to protect the innocent and the guilty. Um, You know, we were looking forward to having this neighbor move in. And before we even met the neighbor, I look out my window one morning, and there's a fence going up like half on my yard, half on their yard. And we haven't even had a conversation. We haven't even met. We don't even know each other. And this thing's being built. And so that's the start of the relationship. And so finally the neighbor shows up and I, I introduced myself to the neighbor and I said, hey, it's good to have you here. Uh, you know, I see you're putting a fence up. That's awesome. Um, how about this? You know, it's half, half of it's in my yard. How about, uh, you know, I'll pay to, to stain the side that I look at, you know, because it's in my yard. And, um, you know, that way you don't have to pay for all that because here you've, you've paid to put this fence up between us. To which I was told, don't touch that. It doesn't belong to you. All right, okay. So I then talked to my neighbor across the street who happened to be a land surveyor, and he looked at it and he goes, yeah, actually, you could legally pry off all of the, the, the panels because they're all yours. And I said, I don't think that's really what I ought to do. Um, although I thought about it, I like had fantasies about it. <clears throat> and that's sort of how like the relationship went. It just started there, and it didn't get any better. Like it, it got no better. And I I found myself getting angry and upset about it. And so, you know, as any good mature Christian would do, uh, I just moved away. So that way I didn't have to deal with that kind of problem. That's not the only reason we moved. Um, And as I thought about that later, I thought, you know what? I didn't ever like maybe really give that an honest to goodness shot. I didn't really like come back and say, you know what? Hey, we got off, we got started on the wrong foot. Um, you know, let's, let's try to be neighbors, right? Because after all, good fences make good neighbors. So here we are. Um, we should be great neighbors now and just never got around to it. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? I think I know what motivated a lot of that behavior. And it was fear. 
it was fear. They were afraid, afraid of people around them, afraid of people they didn't know, afraid of the kind of a new situation. And I really lacked a lot of compassion because I couldn't stop being angry and I couldn't stop being better than them. Friends, neighbors come in all shapes and sizes, good and bad and ugly and beautiful and friendly and not friendly. And Jesus talks a whole bunch about people. How about this, Matthew 5, 43 through 44. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, Jesus is saying, a neighbor's anybody close, even the difficult people. And so you've got to treat those people with love. Uh, even if your neighbor is not a good person. In, in short, what we're called to do is to be a neighbor to others like Jesus is to us. Uh, to be a neighbor to others like Jesus is to us. Uh, Matthew eleven eighteen. You know, Jesus talks about his own reputation as a neighbor. He says, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking. You know, he's a real austere, serious kind of guy. And everybody said, look, he's got a demon. And then Jesus says, I've come and I've been a friend of sinners. And I came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by our deeds. Jesus says, when I came as a neighbor, I came and I hung out with all the wrong people. Because I knew that even those people needed me, is what Jesus would have said. And so for us as Christ followers, it's important that we realize we've got to treat everybody close to us like a neighbor. We need to be a neighbor to others like Jesus is to you and to me. Uh, Andy Stanley asked this question. I love it. You know, the question we should be asking is, what does love require of me? What is it that love requires of me? I, I want to wrap up with this story here. This comes from Reggie Joyner. Uh, Reggie Joyner, he's the big orange curriculum guy. He talks about uh, moving to a new town in Mississippi and he said he had a really, really difficult neighbor. He said he was back in his U-Haul in to the, uh, you know, into his driveway. And as he was backing it up, he realized that there was a man sitting in his driveway in a folding lawn chair. It was his next door neighbor. Somehow word had got around that the new pastor in town uh, was moving into this house. And so this guy was not a, a church-going kind of guy. And he was kind of fascinated by the idea that the, the pastor was going to live next to him. And so Reggie said whenever he would talk to me, he would just call me the Pope. He would just refer to me as the Pope and say, you know, why does, why does the Pope hate gay people? And why, do, you know, why does the Pope, you know, hate Disneyland? And why does the Pope hate Harry Potter? And, and all, he would just, that's the only kind of relationship he had with this neighbor. And it was very, very antagonistic. He said they had very, very different values. Uh, he said, you know, they were getting ready to go to Easter one time. And, and as they were pulling out, they saw his neighbor, you know, who had grown kids who had moved away, putting Easter eggs out in their yard. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, my, my kids are going to come back uh, so that way we can have our annual Easter egg hunt. He said, your sons, your grown sons come back for the Easter egg hunt? He said, oh, yeah, they'll drive for a couple hours so they can be here for our Easter egg hunt. He said, how do you get your grown kids to come back for an Easter egg hunt? He said, well, it started when they were small. You know, we'd put like quarters in the, in the eggs and maybe put a dollar bill in there. And then as they got older than that, we'd put a dollar and then maybe a five and a couple. And then they got a little bit older and so we'd put fives and a couple tens in. And then it became tens and twenties. And then he said, today we've got over a thousand dollars out in the yard. He said, and the kids come and they love it. And so, you know, he said, you know, Reggie went off to, to church. He said he came back. And as he came back, he said, you know, there was three grown men standing next to his neighbor, and one of them had a black eye, and one of them, their shirt was literally ripped in half, and the other guy was like, like trying to stop some bleeding from his forehead because they had just got into a huge fist fight at the Easter egg hunt. And he said, this is just 
how my neighbor was. And then, you know, I got out of the car. My neighbor's like, hey, guess what we did for you? We put some change and some eggs and we hit them in your yard so that way your kids could have the same fun we have. And so that's just how this relationship went. Reggie couldn't make any connection with this guy until one day his neighbor came over to him and said, hey, listen, one of my sons has finally graduated from college. He's the first one in our family to have graduated. Would you come over and pray at at our our celebration party? And Reggie said, yeah, I'd be glad to do that. He said, I didn't want to, but I felt like Jesus would judge me later in life for not having gone to my neighbor's house to pray when I was asked to pray. And so he said, I was feeling okay about it. He said, but then about, you know, about two o'clock in the afternoon, this big box truck pales up to his neighbor's yard. And, and as, as he's watching, this man with a dolly takes a crate out of the back and inside of it, there's a keg. And then he goes back in and gets another keg. And he goes back in and he gets a, a third keg. And I think we're looking at like, he, this guy finally wheels out about four kegs to this party that's going to come later. And Reggie goes, I, I realize now I'm praying at this big, giant, beer party. And he said, I, I, I grew up in this tradition where that's not okay, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do at this moment, and, and I'm going to quit praying. And my wife is like, you have to go. And so he said, I went. And there was nothing special about the prayer, but I prayed. And when I got done, my neighbor was crying. And he said, after that, our relationship changed. Sometimes it takes a party to to realize that we're not a better-than-a-neighbor neighbor, that we're not a know-it-all neighbor, that we're a not-too-busy neighbor, but that we're a neighbor that really wants to be a neighbor like Jesus was to us. Eugene Peterson translates John chapter 1, verse 14 this way. It says, The Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and blood, moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Friends, let me tell you, Jesus came to be our neighbor, not just so that we would be saved, but that way we would introduce Jesus to our neighbors. And so it's time for us to realize that a neighbor is anybody close, and so we've got to treat anybody close like a neighbor. And so that's what we're going to be trying to do through this series. And that's one of the things with these cards. We want you to participate in that. And I'm, I was told by the staff that I have to tell you this, because this is a big thing that's going to be coming in May. And I'm told you have to get emotionally prepared for this, and so I'm going to tell you. I'm really bothered by the fact that I don't know all of my neighbors, and I'm bothered by the fact that you don't know all of your neighbors. I think it's a spiritual problem. I'm just going to lay it out there, okay? And so in May, here's what I think is going to happen. Well, I know this is going to happen. The question is, are you going to be a part of this and be obedient to Jesus or not? That's that's your decision. Um, We're going to give you some cards to have a neighborhood open house, uh, we're going to wait till the weather's kind of nice. Uh, we're thinking Derby Day. Maybe you've heard of the Kentucky Derby. It's kind of a big thing around here. Involves horses and people getting together. And we're just going to want you to open up your house on that day. Little invitations we'll give you. They're not going to have the church's name on it. We don't want you to have Bowling Green Christian Church pens or paraphernalia. You don't need to have a cardboard cut out of me that says Weston says hi. And won't you come join us at church? That'd be, that'd be pretty funny and creepy all at the same time. Um, we're not doing that. We just like, what's the agenda? So that way you get to meet your neighbors. That's the agenda. That's all you want me to do is just get to know their names? That's all we want you to do. You could go out this week and do that. That'd be great. But we're actually going to try to have an occasion where we get you to do that this May because we want everybody to know their neighbors because we think that that's what we're called to do is to realize that a neighbor is anybody close and then we start treating everybody close like a neighbor. All right, why don't you stand
And I want to pray for you right now. Gracious Lord, you have come and moved into the neighborhood to live next to us. You have come so that way you could live next to me and to everybody that's in this room. And God, for those of us that, that acknowledge you as Lord, we are welcome to have you with us most of the time. And yet, God, you are with us all the time because you love us and you don't let us go. And so, God, for us, I pray that you would make us mindful of the fact that you're always with us and that you want to meet all of our neighbors because you want to be their neighbors too. And so, God, this morning, as we've heard a message that I think is challenging, I pray that we would receive that, that we'd allow that to go deep, and that your Holy Spirit would do some amazing work in our hearts and our minds as we think about this. And God, for everybody here that has not acknowledged you as Lord, that has not accepted you, has not recognized the fact or accepted the fact or surrendered the fact that you are their neighbor too, God, I pray that they would open up their eyes and realize that you came to the neighborhood because you wanted to treat us as very best of neighbors, that you wanted to live with us and next to us and in us, and that, God, you wanted us to live with you forever. And that's what we call heaven. And so, God, I pray that we would just be really open to this idea that you are here with us now and that you're going to be with us this week when we leave. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. This morning, perhaps you have a decision to make. Maybe you need to receive Christ for the first time and acknowledge his lordship in your life. If so, we'll invite you to come forward to learn what that means, to to learn more about baptism and what all that means. Uh, We'd love to invite you to come forward for that. Others of you, you've never made a commitment to be a part of the Bowling Green Christian Church family. You've never said, yes, I'm going to be an official neighbor of of this family here. If so, we want to invite you to come forward as we sing this song. Uh, If you've got that decision, we want you to do that. Make that decision now. Otherwise, let's use this song to just maybe in quiet prayer, surrender ourselves to God for his use, that this way, that this week, we would be good neighbors to those around us. Let's sing.